This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A quick disclaimer that due to the nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for anyone listening with children. Why had the merchants, artists, bankers, officials, and lawyers begun to call themselves masons and tried to recreate the ritual of the medieval guilds? What was all the strange masquerade about? In the 18th century, Freemasonry became expressive of militant policy of enlightenment, as in the case of the Illuminati, who were the forerunners of revolution. Active Masonry became theoretical Masonry. This is why the petty bourgeois could find no better way of creating moral ties to hold the people together against the disruptiveness of modern relations than to put on white aprons and arm themselves with a pair of compasses. They were really thinking less of erecting a new building than of finding their way back into the old parliament or ministry. That was a Russian revolutionary, Leon Trotsky, in his 1930s autobiography, describing how he learned of the Freemasons while in prison just two decades earlier. Trotsky struggled to find the answers to his questions regarding the Masons, but eventually became enlightened, as he puts it but not enlightened enough to join. The Masons were too focused on class hierarchy and capitalism for a staunch Marxist. According to Trotsky, they had evolved from a social club that helped the working class to a secretive organization that only helped themselves, the elite. Conspiracy? Maybe. Coincidence? Maybe. Complicated? Absolutely. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. Oh, but sometimes it's not. 
Today's discussion will be our second and final episode about the secretive and elusive organization, the Freemasons. Last week, we detailed the origins of the group, as well as some major aspects and figures that have helped the Freemasons develop their reputation over the last handful of centuries. And this week, we'll dig into the conspiratorial elements associated with the Masons. We'll look at why the secrecy of the Freemasons led to a seemingly endless supply of conspiracy theories, and dive into some of the most interesting ones. Here are the three theories we'll examine today. Conspiracy theory number one. With all of the confusing and intricate ancient rituals, landmarks, and symbols, are the Freemasons not just a fraternal social club, but instead a group of secretive devil worshippers? Is the great architect of the universe, in fact, Lucifer? Conspiracy theory number two. Are the Freemasons... Aliens or lizard people? Are they mysterious beings sent by some dark, nefarious, all-seeing master to reign over us? And conspiracy theory number three. Do the Freemasons really control everything? Is there a reason why they seem to only recruit extremely powerful individuals to join their ranks? And do they use their charitable giving to blind us to the actual truth about the sinister nature of the organization. Let's start with theory number one. As we learned last week, the Freemasons were once tied directly with the Catholic Church and Church of England. The given reason for separating from the churches was that the Masons wanted independence and not be tied to a specific religion. Fair enough. But what if this was only half the story? What if the Freemasons wanted to break away to pursue a darker, more vicious path? What if they traded in God for Lucifer? Or what if their God had always been... Lucifer, the light bearer, strange and mysterious name given to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, the son of the morning. Is it he who bears the light and with its splendors intolerable, blinds, feeble, sensual, or selfish souls doubt it not? That was a quote from the 1872 book, Morals and Dogma of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, written by one of the most respected and admired Freemasons of the time, Sovereign Grand Commander Albert Pike III. We mentioned Pike last week regarding his abhorrent views on race integration within the Freemasonry Brotherhood. Pike was essentially the public voice of the Masons at this time. He authored many books regarding Masonic traits, teachings, and in this case, ideals. Pike joined a Little Rock, Arkansas Masonic Lodge in 1840 and instantly took a leadership role within the community. In 1859, Pike was voted as the Sovereign Grand Commander of the Scottish Rite's Southern Jurisdiction, a position he held for 32 years. And during this time, Pike's self-stated main goal was to create and adapt rituals for the Scottish Rite, as he found the current ones to be too scattered and incongruous. First formed in 1801, the Scottish Rite was an appendant branch of the Freemasons, available to members once they'd reached the highest rank, Master. Traditionally, Freemasons are only able to earn three degrees, 
apprentice, journeyman, and master mason, but the Scottish Rites allowed master masons to obtain additional degrees. The Scottish Rite created 29 new degrees, leaving 32 in total, including the original three. Some degrees were derived from other rites, but the Scottish Rite combined all of them to essentially form a new way of learning for those with curious minds. Through the 1860s and 70s, Pike's contributions to the Scottish Rite helped it become the leading secondary educational institution in Freemasonry. And one of his main contributions was creating the 33rd degree. It was initially only available in an honorary capacity, but Pike was pretty liberal with who he bestowed the honor upon. He thought, correctly, that if he gave enough fellow high-ranking and respected Masons the 33rd degree, that more Masons would eventually be willing to pay for a training course for the chance to obtain the degree. Once a Mason was awarded the 33rd degree, he was simply referred to as a 33rd, often alluding to a prestigious rank or higher authority. This certainly didn't stop rumors from swirling. The most common conspiracy theory about 33rds is that they are among the 5% of Freemasons that know and understand the true meaning of it all. And it all includes devil worship. It's also thought that another 10% of Masons almost know the whole meaning, but rather than be patient enough to learn the entire truth, they use the sliver of knowledge they have for personal and financial gain. The remaining 85% are said to be totally unaware of the real world around them. This is a concept very similar to the 5% nation, a division of the nation of Islam, though the 5% in Islam revere Allah, not Satan. The 5% of Freemasons were supposedly the only people with the key to unlocking the real secrets of the universe. And when the bringer of light, Lucifer, comes to Earth, he will spare the 33rds, as they were the missing link needed to allow Lucifer to rain terror on those in the dark. Of course, this only came to light after Pike wrote the previously mentioned Morals and Dogma. Let's dissect that quote from earlier. Here it is again, quote, Lucifer, the light bearer, strange and mysterious name to give to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, the son of the morning, is it he who bears the light and with its splendors intolerable blinds feeble, sensual, or selfish souls? Doubt it not. End quote. This quote could not be any clearer. Pike is openly advocating for Masons and those interested in becoming Masons to seek knowledge and the light from Lucifer. Seek the light is actually a common phrase found in many different Freemason teachings. The assumption is that the light is coming directly from God, the supreme being or great architect of the universe, which makes the facade of Freemasonry appear close to Christianity. But what if the great architect of the universe is really Satan? Think about it. Why not specify exactly which God is written and spoken about? Why go through the trouble of calling him by all these different names? Many believe it must be because the god is actually Lucifer. Printed on the cover of Pike's book are the words, Deus meumque eus, God and my moral rightness. 
Again, this sounds innocent, but it's a well-known phrase used by Satanists, according to conspiracy theory author and ex-Satanist Joseph Doc Marquis. He, along with many other theorists, suggests the phrase carries multiple meanings. At a surface level, this appears to mean that you, a Freemason, can find what's true and right in God. But according to this theory, the Freemason God is Lucifer, the devil. Yes. And to those in the know, it means that Masons can and shall use Lucifer to find their truth. So to any 33rd, the title actually reads as Satan and my moral rightness. Any real Satanist will know the contents of the book just by the phrase on the cover alone. Theoretically, the Freemasons are hiding their devil worship in plain sight. Another book often used by conspiracy theorists as proof of the Freemasons' connection to Luciferian worship is the 1923 book, The Lost Keys of Freemasonry, or The Secret of Hiram Abif, written by Manley P. Hall. Hall himself was a Freemason and had also been awarded the 33rd degree. In The Lost Keys, Hall insists that once a Freemason was able to have full, total control of his mind and emotions, he believes the brother would be able to wield the powers and energies of Lucifer. He writes, Quote, the seething energies of Lucifer are in his hands, and before he may step onward and upward, he must prove his ability to properly apply energy. He must follow in the footsteps of his forefather, Tubal Cain, who with the mighty strength of the war god hammered his sword into a plowshare. End quote. It should be noted that Hall and the Masons use the word energies very loosely here. They simply mean knowledge. The powers of Lucifer are knowing the unknown. Like many Masonic terms, this only leads to more confusion. Most Freemasons would tell you that by taking the energies of Lucifer, Hall meant that only Master Masons can fight the evil in the world and turn that dark energy into goodwill. Thus, they bring prosperity to mankind. This is quite a leap. I don't fully agree with the counter-argument made by the Masons. There are countless pieces written by other Freemasons that claim they use evil for good purposes, but Hall didn't. He only states that a Mason can use the power of Lucifer for their own purposes, which sounds pretty dark. Agreed. There's no mention of helping the rest of us or fighting evil. Let's look at the second half of the title of Hall's book, the Secret of Hiram Abif. Hiram Abif was a stonemason in ancient Jerusalem, ordered by King Solomon to design and build his temple. Abif and his crew had nearly finished construction on the temple when Abif was accosted by three men. The men wanted information on the king and to know if there were any secret passages in the temple, but Abif never wavered. The men tortured Abif, but he still would not give them any information. Abif's body was found in an unmarked shallow grave on the outskirts of town the next day with his head bashed in. The men were caught soon after and sentenced to death. While this story is officially taught to Freemasons as they complete their Master Mason training, it is worth noting that it's only a parable, a story created to convey a specific lesson. 
that keeping the truths and secrets of the Masons is imperative to the success and well-being of the Brotherhood. The secret of Hiram Abif cost him his life, and if any Freemason was put in a similar situation, he must choose the same. Hall positions Abif as the archetypal Freemason because of his ability to maintain the king's secrets. All Masons should strive to achieve the fictional greatness of Hiram Abif. But Hall also mentions the name of the supposed forefather of Masonry, someone that true Masons should work to follow in the footsteps of. That person is Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain is believed to be a descendant of Cain, the son of Adam and Eve from the book of Genesis. After Cain murdered his brother Abel, God sent him into exile, and Cain was forced to start a new life in a new land. Tubal was the last remaining descendant of Cain after flood wiped out the entire village. It's said that Tubal was the strongest man alive and used his strength and willpower to build anew. Tubal was the inventor of the famous Masonic edge tools, which are used for stonework and also appear in various Freemason symbols. It's also believed that Tubal was the first true blacksmith who discovered forging, as well as many other forms of smithing. Many ancient structures built in biblical times are believed to be by the hands and mind of Tubal Cain. Because of his connection to these historical structures, Freemasons often consider Tubal Cain to be a symbol of worldly possessions meaning he's synonymous with accomplishment, ambition, and passion to the Masons' core values. Many Freemasons, including the influential Albert Mackey, who we spoke of last week, often equate Tubal came as the Vulcan of the pagans. Vulcan was the Roman god of fire, forge, and blacksmithing. Vulcan was known to threaten any who crossed or second-guessed with death by fire. He burned many villages and forests to destroy upcoming harvests as punishment. Vulcan also had ceremonies and festivals in his honor that included humans sacrificed in smoldering fires. Why Mackey thought this was a compliment to Tubal Cain is questionable. But like most all historical and present figures, we tend to let slide the ill actions and focus only on the good, which appears to be the case here. In fact, in official Freemasonry, he's held in such high regard that Tubal Cain was the first secret password given to new Master Masons as they make their way to the induction ceremony. Tubal Cain is viewed by Freemasons as the ancient father of Masonry. But with the full context of who they relate Tubal Cain to, and the way his origins are traced to the first ever murderer, it can certainly lead many to doubt the intent. Also leading theorists to doubt the Freemasons' intent? The Freemason symbols. As we mentioned last week, the Freemasons use many different symbols to mark their buildings and rituals. On their face, many of these symbols appear to be innocent. But they may not be. Atop the United Grand Lodge of England entrance sits a coat of arms with angels on each side. Just underneath the angels, the Latin phrase, Audi vide tace, which roughly translates to hear, see, be silent. This phrase is taken from a longer saying, Audi vide tace, si vis vivere on pace, or hear, see, be silent, if you want to live in peace. This phrase is interesting enough on its own, but what's more intriguing is the angels themselves. 
the angels on the building are shown to have hooves for feet, signifying that they're fallen angels. The angels have human bodies, wings, and the legs and feet of a goat, much like the accepted depiction of the infamous occultist icon, the Baphomet. And these satanic symbols are on the front entry of the foremost building in masonry. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now our story continues. The United Grand Lodge of England, the most important lodge in Freemasonry, is adorned with angels that may not be angels, which lends support to the first conspiracy theory, that the Freemasons are secretly a Satanist group. The angels resemble the occultist icon, the Baphomet, and the visual doesn't appear to be an accident. In his Book of Teachings for the 28th Degree of the Scottish Rites, Albert Pike wrote, Quote, the Gnostics held that he composed the igneous body of the Holy Spirit, and it was adored in the secret rites of the Sabbat, or the temple under the hieroglyphical figure of Baphomet, or the hermaphroditic goat of Mendes. The Baphomet was believed to be the deity the Knights Templar worshipped in the 11th century. However, the first image of the beast was not created until it was drawn by Eliphas Levy, a French Satanist, author, magician, and Freemason in 1856. Levy states that Baphomet was only intended to signify humanity and the balance of good and evil in life necessary to find peace. But at first glance, the creature appears to be overwhelmingly evil in nature. In 1886, the Freemasons found themselves in a world of trouble related to their association with the Baphomet, when the first of a four-part book series written by French author Leo Taxil was published. In the book, roughly translated to The Mysteries of Freemasonry Unveiled, Taxil depicts his eyewitness account of seeing Freemasons openly practicing Satanism in Grand Lodges. Taxel also attributes a quote given to him by Albert Pike himself, quote, We worship a god, 
but it is the god that one adores without superstition. The Masonic religion should be by all of us initiated of the high degree, maintained in the purity of the Luciferian doctrine. Thus, the doctrine of Satanism is a heresy, and the true and pure philosophical religion is the belief in Lucifer. End quote. Satan and Lucifer are often confused, though technically they are different. They're names for the same entity at very different times, uh, similar to how popes take on new names when they are elected, and kings often take new names when they were crowned. Originally, in Christian dogma, Lucifer was an angel created by God that was thought to be the most perfect angel he created. It wasn't until Lucifer fell out of favor with God and was sent down to earth that he became the devil named Satan. The change from angel to demon resulted in a new name. Taxel quoted Pike as saying the Freemasons only follow the angel Lucifer's philosophy, not the devil Satan's, as if that makes it any more pure. In the remaining three books, Taxel introduces a woman by the name of Diana Vaughn, who was a descendant of a Rosicrucian alchemist, Thomas Vaughn. Diana tells Taxel that she was heavily involved with the Freemasons, and more specifically in Luciferian Freemasonry. Diana felt that things were getting too big for her, so she professed her admiration for Joan of Arc during one satanic ritual, which caused the Masons to stop midway through and allowed her to exit the lodge unharmed and on her own will. The final book was just a collection of prayers written for Taxel by Pope Leo VIII. The Catholic Church was very thankful to Taxel for his expose of Satanists and gave him much high praise. In the wake of Taxel's book releases, many wanted to meet the elusive Diana Vaughn, but Taxel never forced her to face the public. His reasoning for keeping her identity a secret was simple. She was made up. In fact, all of Taxel's writings about the Freemasons were fake. Taxel was a satirist. He had no ties whatsoever to the Freemasons, and his rationale for creating this hoax was to expose the Catholic Church's fanatical anti-Masonry. Taxel disliked both the Freemasons and Catholics, and knew quite well the Masons had been in poor standing with the Church since they cut their ties. The Church was a huge target for Taxel. His previous work in 1884 depicted Pope Pius IX in a series of homosexual relationships that caused a mass panic until Taxel was accused of libel and forced to apologize and convert to Catholicism. This was his revenge. However, that did not stop people from using Taxel's writings as proof the Freemasons were Satanists and prayed at the feet of the Baphomet. Even after revealing the truth behind his story, Taxel was granted numerous awards and honors by religious institutions for revealing the, quote, true evil purposes of Freemasonry, end quote. The church also continued to try and prove the accuracy of Taxel's exploits and any half-truths they could gather or muster up themselves. For many... This explained the mysterious, elite nature of the Freemasons, and they didn't care if it was real or not. We, of course, do care and have to discredit any theories based on Taxel's works. We do. Freemasons argue that they still have quite a bit in common with churches, even after the split and the Taxel incident, that their passions line up with each other just via different methods. 
the Masons still maintain belief in a supreme being as a key requirement to joining the Brotherhood. Yet, of course, do not specify which being is supreme. Now, we can argue why that is, and many have for hundreds of years, but I believe that's the whole point. In all of our Freemason research, the themes that pop up again and again are secrecy and confusion. It's the notes that aren't being played that show where the real meaning behind the Freemasonry lies. I agree. In everything we've seen, there's always some form of double talk or vagueness. Many Masons like to point out that an open Bible is required at all times during meetings. Masons would have to lead double lives if they were in fact to worship God with their families at home and then come to a lodge and lay praise to Lucifer in the same day. Then why not just come out and say that everything about Satanism and the Freemasons is fake news and show us the real truth? It seems most logical that the Freemasons like the mystery. The Masons obviously admire the attention that all of this gives them, so they don't feel the need to clarify any of it. That makes sense. Which is why we're rating this theory a 3 out of 10. Yes, there is some evidence to prove the Freemasons' relationship with Satanism, and some of this is convincing, but I just don't believe any of it really to be true. It's all a ruse. The Freemasons don't necessarily seek out devil worshippers, but I also don't think they'd turn them away either. If you believe they worship Lucifer or don't, I think the Freemasons don't really care. At the end of the day, I think the main goal of the Masons in allowing this rumor to persist is just that we leave them alone. It adds a sense of mystery, and the real story, whatever it is, is only known for sure by members, bonding them over a shared secrecy. Exactly. Outside rumors strengthen the group. It's classic us-first-them psychology, and it makes being a Freemason that much more valuable. Let's move on to theory number two. What if the Freemasons and other strange organizations weren't made up of humans? What if the people we thought were in power were actually extraterrestrial reptilians sent to disguise themselves as one of us and infiltrate the foundations of society? In his 1999 book, The Biggest Secret, author David Icke describes his quote-unquote proven theory that many of the world's powerful and elite members were in fact reptilian shapeshifters sent from outer space to control the entire world. Quote, the whole scenario was planned centuries ago because the reptilians, operating from the lower fourth dimension, and indeed whatever force controls them, have a very different version of time than we have. Hence they can see and plan down the three-dimensional timeline in a way that those in three-dimensional form cannot. End quote. Born in 1952 in Leicester, England, David Icke first came to notoriety as a footballer in his college years. He was an accomplished goaltender, a position Icke claims fit him perfectly because it was lonely and let him balance on the edge of becoming a villain or hero at any moment. Icke suffered a knee injury and was never able to remain healthy enough to stay on the field. He then found his way as a media personality. 
Ike worked as a journalist, commentator, and broadcaster for the BBC until the summer of 1990. He was fired from the network after he refused to pay a poll tax implemented by Margaret Thatcher. Ike threatened that he would rather go to jail instead of paying the tax. He eventually paid the tax, but the BBC no longer wanted to be in business with him. The 90s were quite an interesting time for Ike. He called it his turquoise period. He began to study the practice of mediumship, or communicating with the dead. Ike claimed he was sent a message from beyond, that he was the son of God and had an infinite mind. During this event, Ike was wearing a turquoise shirt and believed it to be good luck, so he bought only turquoise-colored clothing and jewelry. Ike clearly was not in the best state of mind at the time, but people still continued listening for whatever reason. In fact, his popularity only grew from here. He was a leading member of the Green Party and spent most of his time working on social issues. In 1991, Ike held a press conference and claimed the world was going to end in 1997 and that God told him a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico would be the catalyst. It was during this time when Ike first discovered the various conspiracies about people of Jewish descent. You know the ones. Money, hungry, aliens, sent here by Satan to control the world, and from there, Ike dug himself deeper into the dark, strange corners of the internet and libraries, collecting as much information as he possibly could about the powerful elite and their alleged extraterrestrial beginnings. The theory was no longer anti-Semitic. It was anti-anyone rich or in power. In his examples of who he believes to be a reptilian, Ike has identified hundreds of various powerful groups he believed were sent from space. The theory gains new additions regularly, but on the list are the Clinton, Kennedy, and Bush families, the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, any elected official in the American government and UK parliamentary, famous Hollywood celebrities like George Clooney and Steven Spielberg, Musicians such as Jay-Z, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, essentially every Jewish person, the Illuminati, and the Freemasons. Oof, that's quite a list. Ike claims he's able to confirm the reptilian origins of individuals by examining their eyes and pupils. Ike says when a person's pupils are enlarged and their eyes red, it means they're reptilian shapeshifters. He also states that some may not know they're lizard people. Their body acts just as a host for the time needed as the lizard creature exits into a new host. There's just one minor problem with Ike's proofing method. The people he's examining are never in the same room as him. He's using pictures to judge them. If you've ever taken a flash photograph of yourself or anyone else, and it appears as if your eyes are glowing or bright red, it's just a reflection of the flash. That's right. Ike has been misidentifying famous and influential people, including all Freemasons, as space lizards because of camera flash. Ike had countless theories or reasonings for connecting the world leaders to reptilian overlords. Another theory Ike suggested was that humanity had been genetically altered into humanoids by the Babylonian Brotherhood. In The Biggest Secret, Ike argues the Brotherhood was actually, quote, reptilian descendants from the Draco constellation, end quote. Named after the Latin word for dragon, 
the Draco constellation is very real and is located near the North Star. These facts about the constellation are probably the only two things in Ike's explanation that are actually accurate and correct. Ike believes the Babylonian Brotherhood is responsible for every powerful group in the world, including governments, banks, spy agencies, and social clubs. He argues the Brotherhood created the United Nations, Federal Reserve, International Money Fund, the British Royal Family, Illuminati, CIA, Mossad, Lloyds of London, and the Freemasons. Not every single member in these groups are aliens or lizards, just those in the highest ranks. Ike said, quote, This unelected global elite own or control the major global banks, the multinational companies, the drug companies, the global media, the armament companies, the world market in hard drugs, the security services, and the institutions of government. Working through the global secret society network, such as the upper levels of the Freemasons and others, the elite constantly manipulate wars and the world economic and political system for their own ends, end quote. While Ike was not the first to theorize that certain powerful groups, like the Freemasons, are alien lizard people, he certainly is the most outspoken and influential. Throughout the last three decades, Ike has published and produced 20 books and DVDs on a vast range of topics. Ike's theories have faced some backlash within the larger community of free thinkers, but for the most part, his work is accepted as fact by lizard people conspiracy theorists. This theory isn't specifically about the Freemasons, as we mentioned earlier. It's about those in positions of unmatched and unchecked power or people in positions of assumed power. In Ike's theory, the Babylonian Brotherhood is the tree trunk, while the Masons, New World Order, Illuminati, royal families, and so on, are the branches growing from the trunk that influence the world around them with their extraterrestrial reptilian mind-controlling powers, allegedly. There isn't strong evidence for this theory. I think the only logical conclusion here is to rate this a zero out of 10. I appreciate the work Ike has done. If you're in the right state of mind, these theories can be pretty entertaining, but it's all for naught. If we live in a world where lizard humanoids are controlling the banks and governments and using the bodies of celebrities as hosts, then we have quite a problem. Luckily, that doesn't seem to be the case here. We can both agree that the Freemasons are certainly not reptilians from outer space that came down to Earth to rule the world. But what if it's partially true? What if the Freemasons are a part of a massive global conspiracy concocted by the most elite members of society to control every aspect of our day-to-day -day lives? Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now, back to conspiracy theories. Finally, conspiracy theory number three. What if the Freemasons are key players in a massive global conspiracy that's been in the works for centuries? What if there was a plot to overthrow federal governments and manipulate national currencies to give the Masons a centuries-long reign of unchecked power? Since they first rose to prominence in the early 19th century, the Freemasons were believed to be part of a global conspiracy to control the entire world. Often they were associated with other conspiracy theory favorites, like the Illuminati, New World Order, and Knights Templar. And for the most part, it does appear to be true. For that, we have to look at the York Rite. The York Rite was an independent branch of Freemasonry, similar to the Scottish Rite we discussed earlier. But unlike the members of the Scottish Rite, the overwhelming majority of York members were also brothers of the Masonic Knights Templar. Within the York Rite, there were three separate factions. The Royal Archmasonry, Cryptic Masonry, and the Grand Encampment of Knights Templar. Once a Mason has completed the Royal Arch and Cryptic Masonry teachings, he enters the Grand Encampment of Knights Templar. As we mentioned, theorists believe that the Knights Templar had some part in the foundation of the Masons, but the Grand Encampment states they are simply named after the defunct religious army. The Grand Encampment claim there is no other relation between the Templars and Masons and do not recognize these theories to be factual. However, they do not offer any evidence or proof backing their statement. We just have to take them at their word. This seems pretty typical of the Freemasons from what we've seen so far. The emblems of the York Rite sects certainly appear to be evidence of the contrary. The royal arch symbol is the red Templar cross, minus the bottom leg, within a blood-red Masonic pyramid. The logo of the cryptic masons is that of a purple sword and dagger, encompassed in an open-ended pyramid. And the grand encampment emblem is a Catholic crucifix inside a faceless crown, surrounded by a bold iron cross with the phrase, In hoc signo winces a Latin phrase meaning, in this sign you will conquer, written around it. The York Rite certainly is related to the Old Knights Templar Order. There are too many connections to say otherwise. The connections between the two caused quite a panic and was used extensively in the 20th century anti-Masonry movement. Remember, the Freemasons were also caught up in the growing anti-Semitic campaign across much of Europe and parts of the West in the 20th century. Though it wasn't because of anything either the Masons or the Jewish people had done, it was all based off of lies. This theory has roots in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This was a completely fabricated document that came out of the Russian Empire in 1903 and sparked the Judeo-Masonic conspiracy movement. 
The protocols exposed a worldwide conspiracy that the Jews had infiltrated the Freemasons and used the social club to spread their advancement in world domination. It also claimed that Jewish leaders and the heads of the Masons were the same people and allowed the takeover to advance their own ambitions. The book piggybacks off the unsubstantiated anti-Semitism claims that have followed the Jewish people for thousands of years. The book was based off an alleged meeting that took place in 1898 or 1899, where the Jewish leaders feared they were being targeted by outside parties. The leaders supposedly discussed the possibility of a much more powerful global Jewish domination campaign. Supposedly, this campaign included joining and gaining control of the Freemasons. The Times of London was finally able to debunk the Protocols of Elder Zion in 1921, but the damage was already done. Much like the Taxel hoax, once the word was out, there was no way to stop it from becoming widespread, even when proven false. Adolf Hitler, unsurprisingly enough, was quite a fan of the Protocols. He spread the propaganda across Germany and the rest of Europe in the lead-up to World War II. He even went so far as to make it required reading in German elementary schools. As we mentioned last week, many Freemasons who remained in Europe during the war were forced into concentration camps. Hitler believed the Jews had infiltrated the Masonry, as the Protocols declared, and was adamant that the Freemasons had to be dealt with if the Nazis had any chance to remain in power. This is one conspiracy theory that led to horrible consequences. Around the same time, in America, Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company and known Nazi sympathizer, personally paid for 500,000 copies to be published and distributed across the states. Of course, many believed it to be factual, and this caused the anti-Semitic movement to sprout once the Great Depression hit. It's unclear if the book had any heavy influence over the anti-Mason collective that's grown abundant in the States, as it did in Europe, but Mason membership was certainly waning at this time, mostly due to financial factors brought on by the Depression. Speaking of the financial collapse and Great Depression, another factor to fuel the Freemason world domination theory is their connection to various banks and the family that controlled them. One of the wealthiest banking families in history, the Rothschilds have known ties to the Freemasons. Various members of the family have at one point in time been a member of the group. These strong ties between one of the most famous, wealthy, powerful families and the Freemasons have fueled many conspiracies, mostly that they've worked together since the 1800s to manipulate economies and continue to do so today. Theorists believe that over the centuries, the Freemasons, with help from the Rothschilds, have full and total control of the Federal Reserve, the independent central bank of the United States. There's a quote attributed to Meyer Amschel Rothschild that theorists continue to use as proof, though the accuracy of the quote has not been fully vetted. Quote, Permit me to issue and control the money of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws." End quote. While the validity of the quote is questionable, the Rothschilds did fully own and operate the Bank of England in the 19th century. Well, many believe this was the main source of financial support for the growth of the Freemason movement in Europe, especially when the transition from operative to speculative masonry became more widespread. Officially, 
the Rothschilds first became involved in American affairs when Benjamin Franklin traveled to France in preparation for the American Revolution to secure funds and arms to help fight the British Empire. Once the war was over and Alexander Hamilton was appointed as the first Treasury Secretary in 1787, the Rothschilds fully funded Hamilton's request for a private national bank. After Hamilton's death in 1804, the Rothschilds became the sole owners of the Bank of the United States. To clarify, this really happened. The Rothschilds were involved in the U.S. National Bank. What we don't know is if this was part of a Freemason scheme to seize world power. During his leadership, Thomas Jefferson stressed that the bank should be publicly owned so no outside forces, such as the British monarchy or any other European group, could influence America's decision-making. In 1811, the Rothschilds' charter was set to expire, and the public overwhelmingly supported Jefferson's pitch for the fully nationalized bank. But with a massive campaign, the family was able to get its charter renewed. Some take this as evidence of conspiracy, but it's also just a savvy business move. In 1828, Freemason Andrew Jackson won the presidential election and his first course of action was to break up the Rothschilds' bank. It was his biggest campaign talking point. Quote, You are a den of vipers. I intend to expose you, and by the eternal God, I will rot you out. If the people understood the rank injustices of our money and banking system, there would be a revolution before morning." End quote. Both Jackson and the Rothschild patriarchy were Freemasons, but Jackson was an anti-Semite and did not trust the powerful family at all. So the Freemasons weren't necessarily working together. I'd say that's evidence against the conspiracy. True. After his re-election, Jackson was nearly assassinated by a man who confessed that he was hired by the, quote, powers in Europe. Yet Jackson still chose against renewing the bank's charter. Under Jackson's presidency, the United States' national debt finally reached zero. They were no longer paying off loans from wealthy European benefactors, the Rothschilds included. However, after the Mexican-American and American Civil Wars, the country found itself over $100 million in debt, forcing new President Abraham Lincoln to reinstate the Rothschilds' privatized bank to incur more capital. Lincoln pledged to cancel the private banks after the debt was paid off, but he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth before he could act. Theorists allege that Wilkes Booth had ties to the Knights Templar and was paid by the Rothschilds to carry out the deed. Either way, after Lincoln's assassination, the Rothschild family was able to push harder to remain involved with the Federal Reserve and any bank that would open up in America for the next two centuries. To this day, the Rothschilds have strong financial ties to numerous countries' national banks and elected officials, including in the United States. And according to the conspiracy theory, this is to keep their interests and the interests of the Freemasons a priority. This leads us to the show-and-tell portion of the show. And if you've ever had the opportunity to watch the famed 2004 Nicolas Cage movie National Treasure, you'll likely be aware of this next example. If you have an American $1 bill, take it out and flip it to the backside. 
you'll see the familiar pyramid with the elevated eye hovering over the pyramid. This is the Eye of Providence and has been a frequently used Freemason symbol since 1797. According to Masonic historians, the eye is said to symbolize the great architect of the universe, the Freemason deity. However, the symbol was first placed on the dollar bill 15 years before the Freemasons adopted the symbol. It's unclear whether the Rothschilds or founding fathers were responsible for placing this symbol on the currency, but whoever it was, they certainly had a reason for doing so. It's interesting that the Masons chose to recognize the symbol after it had already been implemented on the American bill. Many of the founding fathers were Freemasons. There's no way to argue around that. It's a fact. Theorists state that this was done to cement the Freemasons' claim to ownership of the new country and was proof that they were in full monetary control of the United States. The symbol is a clear tie between the U.S. government and the Freemasons. However, I don't think the Eye of Providence was placed on the bills to prove the Freemasons have full control of the government. It may just be there to show they had a hand in creating the new country and wanted to leave a mark on history. It's not as sinister and evil as theorists claim. For one symbol, sure, but look back at that dollar bill. There's a Latin phrase written on the scroll under the pyramid, Novus Ordo Seclorum, which roughly translates to New Order of the Ages, simplified as New World Order. This phrase in the Eye of Providence can be clearly seen on any Masonic Lodge or Grand Lodge throughout the world. And New World Order, as you may know from other episodes, implies the control of the world by just one elite powerful group. It's certainly interesting, but again, it could be just a coincidence. Theorists use coincidences, however small, as a self-fulfilling prophecy. They can and will use any detail to back their claims. It's mostly irrational, but that's how conspiracies start. They need something to connect to the dots, but sometimes the connection isn't as hard to make. All of our theories today have positioned the Freemasons and related parties as evil organizations that meet secretly in dark rooms with intentions to overthrow governments and reign terror over the innocent. It's what's known as synarchism, a deep state or shadow government of two or more groups joined harmoniously to start a revolution. The overwhelming majority of the scenarios brainstormed really have no backbone to stand on, but one does. It's not a theory at all, it's categorically factual. The Italian Masonic Lodge, also known as Propaganda Do, was founded in 1945 under the rule of the Grand Orient of Italy. In 1976, Propaganda Do was expelled from the Grand Orient for conduct detrimental to the Masonic Brotherhood, actions that only increased by tenfold once they were no longer under the watch of the Freemasons. Propaganda Do rebranded simply as P2 and became an ultra-right-wing pseudo-Masonic spy organization and were part of many high-profile crimes in Italy and around Europe, a true synarchism. The first infamous case P2 was involved with was the 1982 robbery of Banco Ambrosiano in Milan, which was partially owned by the Vatican. At the same time the bank robbery was committed in Milan, 
the president of the bank, Roberto Calvi, was murdered in London in 1982. The murder was first ruled a suicide, but investigators eventually were able to trace payments back to P2 and some of its members. They were also the prime targets in the murders of other bankers and journalists during this time period. P2 was able to ward off much of the backfire for their actions because many of the highest-ranking leaders of the group were also high-ranking officials in the Italian government. They were a state within a state. A synarchism. Among the more infamous members was Silvio Berlusconi, who became the eventual prime minister of Italy before being forced to resign for fraud and inappropriate sexual conduct. During a 1982 raid on a P2 hitman, authorities found a document titled Plan for Democratic Rebirth. The document showed a highly detailed scheme in which P2 would enact in attempt to overthrow the current government regime. The plan included a plot to bankrupt and censor the media. They intended to put into place their own mouthpieces. Then, they would oppress the labor unions and eventually rid the workforce of their influence. The final portion of the document featured a rough outline for how the group planned to entirely rewrite the Italian constitution. What we have here is a real case of a group of Freemasons trying to create a new world order. Almost all of the conspiracy theories we've discussed today have been waved off by Masons as just a coincidence. But the actions of the P2 Lodge can't be chalked up to mere coincidence. This was an evil group acting under the banner of Freemasonry. Masons argue that P2 was banished from Freemasonry well before any of this. And while that is technically true, how is it that people this bad were able to join the Masonry to begin with? These plans were all put into action almost immediately after P2 was thrown out of Masonry, which means they began these plots while active Masons. The requirements for joining the Masons clearly state that a person must be of pure heart and act in the best of intentions. The members of P2 were obviously far from pure. It's hard to imagine an entire group of people changed their thought process from pure to evil, which also gives credence to the belief that Masons were devil worshippers. Members of P2 were evil and had the worst of intentions. They never should have been allowed into the Freemasons, or at least the group the Freemasons say they are. Even now, Freemasons continue to turn their heads at any reports or investigations into whether or not P2 was still connected to the Grand Orient of Italy during their reign of terror. Even with the true account of P2, this theory kind of has me pulled to either side. But there's just not enough there to fully connect the Freemasons to a centuries-long world domination scheme. A recent quote from an unnamed Freemason really put this into perspective for me. Quote, Dan Brown might find connection because he writes fiction. Any other calmly-minded person won't find any similarities. End quote. I understand that, of course. A Mason would say this to throw off any conspiracy theorist that came searching for the truth, but it really stuck with me, and it's still not a definitive answer to the theories, again showing us that the Masons don't really want to clarify their relationship to any conspiracy theories. Sometimes things just line up unintentionally, and only afterwards can one draw a line connecting it all. The theory that the Freemasons are part of some new world order set on world domination and controlling civilizations, I'd give about a 4 out of 10. 
The connection to the Rothschilds and symbols on currency, however faint, can't go unnoticed. The Eye of Providence and Novus Ordo Seclorum phrase is placed there for a specific reason. While I don't quite believe it was intentionally done to prove the Freemasons control the economy, I can certainly see how and why some believe it was. The P2 Collective is also a massive blow to the Masons' claim that they're a force of good. Similar to the Satanist theory, it seems like the Freemasons don't really care that people believe these theories are true. It gives them a sense of power they don't otherwise have. So let's recap. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being nonsense and 10 being likely true, we give 3 out of 10 to the theory that the Freemasons are secretly a Satanist group of devil worshippers. And Ike's theory of the Babylonian Brotherhood and reptilian humanoids is just so preposterous and comes from a profoundly disturbed and unreliable narrator, it cannot be taken seriously at all. We give this a 0 out of 10. Finally, there's the theory that the Masons have infiltrated governments and banks to consolidate world power. While there are more truths to this than the others, there's still a huge disconnect that doesn't quite add up to prove a massive, centuries-long conspiracy. Four out of ten. We believe the official story that the Masons are just a social group. Though they have an elitist past, they now provide great opportunities for community and philanthropy which enrich the lives of the members. There certainly can be more power found in the appearance of a threat than putting that into action. Uh, bark is worse than the bite type of situation. That's what we have here with the Freemasons. For members, part of the appeal lies in the history and perception of power, which they don't actually have. The Masons are just another group of predominantly white men who find joy in fanning the flames of conspiracy in order to keep themselves relevant. They don't outright point to individual theories and say specifically whether it's factual or not, because the more mysterious things are, the better. The Freemasons find power in the shadows. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you want to hear more Conspiracy Theories, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it does really help our show. And don't forget to subscribe. Tell us your favorite Conspiracy Theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. Until next time, remember... The truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Dylan Slocum and Richie Ward and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 